Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. So we are live with Martina and uh, Yaruna. Welcome to the podcast, Learn From Leaders. Thank you so much for being here. You know, this is quite a special one because we have two guests today. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. Super exciting. Thank you. Let's make sure that we get your uh, background stories here. Maybe we can start with you, Martina. I think it's safe to say that you're a bit of a rising star within tech. You know, you are at Unity, but you also are finding the energy to do like a lot of cool stuff on the side. Maybe you can tell a bit about that. Thank you for having me. That is very generous of you to say. So I'm originally Swedish, currently living in Copenhagen. And as you mentioned, working for Unity in my day to day. But outside of Unity, I am one of the people running a um, charity called Random Hacks of Kindness Copenhagen. So basically, we're a nonprofit trying to help NGOs to address and solve their uh, real life digital problems by applying technical talent and figuring out how to lessen their pains during a hackathon. That is a bit about what we're doing. Awesome. And today is a bit of a special because, you know, we got um, Yarune in the podcast and this is the first time on this podcast I actually have, you know, one of my employees. You're a CMO at Favro, but also you are doing some things on the side. So why don't you jump into that? At my free time or after work time at Favro, I'm working in Women Go Tech initiative. And this is the very first mentorship program in Lithuania for women who want to jump from non-tech sector to the tech one, or they want to accelerate their career, being in some kind of junior position and actually growing in the career and taking a bigger role as such. And the initiative is already 60 years old. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, you have been very successful in also kind of fundraising and, you know, making sure that this is one of the most successful, maybe I should call it NGOs in Lithuania. All very impressive. Now, let's jump into the topic of today, which is boosting women in tech. A lot of companies are talking a lot about getting more women into the companies, you know, inclusion, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I would like to get your personal perspectives on why is boosting women in tech actually important? Maybe we can start with you, Martina. So this is also another passion topic of mine, having facilitated and had a lot of conversations about this with experts from all kinds of areas in the in the startup scene. But I think personally, why it's important to have inclusion as a really big like core of the business model is just to make sure that you see someone that you can relate to. So for me as a woman, of course, it helps to see other women in tech, for example, or that you're able to get other types of opinions and insights. And then we're kind more into inclusion, right? So it's not only about women, but also all people from all walks of life. And getting those input and that insight is super valuable to build strong and resilient businesses, in my opinion. Cool. And uh, Yeruna, what's your personal perspective on this? 
One of the things, of course, is the creativity part that many of us would say, because if you have the representation of women, so of course you're building most probably stronger technology, stronger vision that you have, whatever you are doing. And also it's kind of the stopping sign for the future problems to raise because you are representing bigger group as such. But uh, living in the country, Lithuania, it's quite small one. So I have this complex of the small country in me. And uh, when we figure out that we want to do something related to women in technology. It was very much driven from that angle that, oh shit, we have around 18% of women in the technology in Lithuania. And that is so, so bad because a lot of a business that are coming here, for example, Fevero also came. One of the things was talents as such. We don't have this huge part of the population and how we can actually give for ourselves that kind of the opportunity. And then we looked at all the statistics and all of the things and understood that, okay, if women are going to maternity leave, they're staying there around five years, then they're aging faster and so on. And then it's so, so many of the complex problems that you have at the very end, because it's just, they are not represented in the sector, which is giving the most benefit in the economy as such. Both of you mentioned representation in various ways. Maybe I can start with you, you know, Martina. Did you ever have any role models, someone that you, know, you felt, okay, I want to follow this way? Or did you feel like, okay, this is like a totally uncharted territory, you know, I'm going to be the first woman walking into this? I was definitely not the first woman to walk into tech, especially not in Stockholm. To give a bit of background, I was part of my first tech conference when I was 16, and that was not a lot of female representation there. But I could still see that people were driven by the same objectives as I were and having the same kind of motivations. I would, however, say that there has definitely been prominent people alongside my career so far, women in particular, that has definitely steered the way into tech. One of them is my dad, but also my aunt. And I think having that close kind of tech background from a family standpoint is really important. But of course, I've also looked outside, but I can't name one in particular. I think I seek inspiration from a lot of places. Right now, I have a lot of friends as well that I'm looking up to. What about you, Yaruna? Did you have um, some role models to follow? In general, I'm feeling very lucky that I had opportunity to work with um, many people who really pushed my career and pushed me as a personality. Funny to say in this discussion, but they all were men, but they dedicated a lot of time actually in believing me and giving sometimes a bit of the trust and so on in the very early days that uh, maybe it was some kind of the push also for myself to believe more in some of the things, the career aspects and so on. So I'm actually having a lot of those people. So one of the things which is discussed quite a bit right now in the tech and venture capital industry is the underrepresentation of women and in general diversity when it comes to raising venture capital. And there's like a lot of statistics and articles about this. But one of the things I find quite interesting is that when you look at, let's say, the whole funnel, also the amount of women that are even trying to get venture capital is extremely low. I would love to hear kind of like your perspectives on this. Martina, if you take you as an example, I mean, you're at you. Unity, a lot of people that choose to leave Unity often do it, you know, to start a company, right? Some call it like hangership. People are coming in and they learn a lot of things, but then when they leave, like they start companies. So it's very like important for the economy, right? I'm just curious about the perspective here on uh, why so few women are actually starting companies that are being part of founding teams. 
I think it's also a perception that many fall into, which is that there just isn't any, for example, female founders or founders of other that aren't male, basically. But I think it's just about looking in the right places and providing the safe space. I've had conversations about this before with experts and sourcing experts as well. And, and we spoke a lot about that the use of language can be a very important piece. So is it more of a male skewed type of language? Then you will definitely generate more applications from men. But I think also there are so many benefits of having female founded companies. I mean, I think it's somewhere around like almost 50% of female founded companies are generating more than 50% of revenue than the male counterparts. And I think that's just fascinating. I think it's just about looking in the right places and making sure that it is coming into like a safe environment and allowing there's incubators in the US, for example, that is solely based on making sure that they provide mentorship for women that is maybe not in the usual working hours because maybe they have a family that men perhaps don't take as much into account. So it's about providing that network, I would say. If I can throw in a bit of a controversial question there, you know, so you use the term safe space. I would love to hear a bit more what that means. And the controversial part of it would be what's like the difference between a safe space and simply being less demanding? Because I built a couple of companies and I fundraised several times and it's like ridiculously challenging. I mean, venture capital is like crazy tough. I've been taking like 50 no's, 100 no's, you know, before you actually get that check. It's really, really hard. So what's the difference between like safe space and like just simply being less demanding? I can speak about this for days. So I would say that in the funnel that you also mentioned before, you have to be very careful as a VC to understand what you're imposing on the teams that you're talking to. Of course, you're going to get hundreds of no's until you get that yes. But also, what type of questions are you asking? So there was this interesting study at Stockholm School of Economics by Conley, I believe, that was about promotion versus prevention questions. And it's all about the VCs in a situation of sourcing companies. They're asking different types of questions depending on who is sitting in front of them. So for women, they got more preventative questions. They asked about how will you be secure in this and responsibility and security, those kind of very heavy questions. Whereas their male counterparts, they were asking about ideals and hopes and dreams and achievements. And it showed that it led the conversation different ways. So I think that awareness of making sure that you do, we keep coming back to the safe space, but I think it's also about being responsible for what you you do as a VC and how you demanding is maybe a good word, but you also have to be of higher standards yourself, I would say. I'm going to keep asking the tough questions here. So from what you were saying, you know, it sounds like it's more about maybe equal space. You know, you were describing that, you know, women are getting different questions than the men in a way that already skews the whole setup from the beginning. It's almost like more about like, a, let's say, a fair space. Again, on the theme here of controversial questions, are we making potentially like disservice to this by calling it safe space instead of fair space? Is there a risk that we're sugarcoating the problem, so to say, instead of just calling a spade a spade? Jeroen, do you want to jump in? <laughs> you can continue. I will add on. Okay. It's the same thing of talking about women in tech versus talking about inclusion in tech. So are you calling out a problem that is easier to address if you say that it's a safe space versus an equal space? Of course, it should be an equal space. But some people and some kind of setups of people's lives might need some extra handholding. And I think today it's probably geared more towards men if we're calling it super, you know, drawing everything over the same line. So yes, equal is probably a better word, but we're not equal. So then we need to provide a safe space in order to be equal eventually. 
I would agree and disagree. I think that it's very interesting angle exactly on we are sugarcoating quite a lot of the times and uh, not naming uh, the things how they really are. And uh, a lot of us now jumping companies, people doing their brands with equality, inclusion, and all of these uh, nice things to say that they're really taking care of it. And it is kind of the game of the sugarcoating a lot of the things. In this particular situation, I would say that it's also we need to take into consideration that who are the VCs and VCs are most men. And uh, when they are most of the men, you have that inherited bias in all of the things that you're doing. So you are not necessarily even aware of uh, how you treated, what you did and so on. But this is such a long path as such to go that it's not necessarily a problem that you can solve and see and so on. So it's a long journey as such. So still what you need to do at first also to think about the representation and your receipt, what you have in order to evaluate also in the way that it would be seriously equally and so on. Yeah. And I think having homogeneous VCs is obviously a, a trap in itself. So if you want to build something that's not a homogeneous company, then of course you need the support of a more diverse VC as well. I think that's a good point. Have you seen that there's been some change when it comes to VCs? I've definitely seen some change, but I think one great example is SSE Business Lab. So they are putting requirements. So that's the Stockholm-based accelerator. They're putting requirements on both the teams and the VCs to be diverse. So the startups coming in have requirements of how diverse they need to be. And I think have, setting the bar there for the VCs as well is really where you can make a lot of difference, ensuring that the diversity comes through in all areas. I totally would agree that there is a change. And I think it's... Uh especially now everyone is rethinking everything after the COVID situation as such. And um, we're lacking, well, at least in the Athena market, we are lacking the very good ideas that you hear it and you want to invest that the strong pitches as such. And it not so much then matters who is behind the idea's agenda or something, but you are really looking for the business opportunities and how it is going with that, where to put the money safely. So this is one of the things. And in general, what we see that do during the pandemics, women lost their jobs like a lot because they are mostly in the service sector. And uh, it is the push for women to think about it, what to do. So post-pandemics, we see also the increase of women startups as such because they were kind of, okay, what I'm going to do now? Maybe I had the idea before, but I never pursue it and so on. So I think there is quite a lot of the positive things that are happening. Well, I'm happy to hear that. So let's take it back to the, um, the campus employers. And, I, you know, again, I'm going to ask a tough question. So when it comes to like actions that companies are doing, you know, that employers are doing, I would like to hear both of your perspectives. What do you think are like good actions that will make real change versus actions that are really virtue signaling? Because I think we can agree that there's quite a bit of virtue signaling going on in this kind of space. What I see now that um, as companies are really lacking the talents, what they're going going for is a lot of in general just simple advertisement how cool is to be here and women come join us it's amazing and you will receive a lot of the resources uh, you can learn and so on I see a lot of the academies that companies are building that we can give for you like the very junior skill set that you will be capable to start your position and so on 
a lot of these kind of the initiatives, but they are coming from the angle that we just need actually the meat that would come and do the job. We just need that someone would do the job. And I think that it's not the change that it will be long lasting because what it will happen in the end, okay, someone will start to do the job, but then we'll understand that, okay, maybe I'm not fitting here and they in the end will drop. But what there are possibilities on what companies can do is still the answers community. The problem is just too big to handle by your own initiative and what. So what I think like Women Go Tech and similar initiatives, why they are very good, because you need just to take down your hat that I need to hire now 100 uh, developers, but you need somehow to do the clusters. You need to cooperate with each other and then think, okay, we together, our the biggest rivals and so on, we need to prepare somehow the course, the mentoring that people would really decide that I want to exceed in this kind of path. And uh, only by this unity and community, you can actually capable to do the change. I don't see any other of the things if you will do like very small initiatives by yourself that it will make like really drastical change as such. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think so, of course, companies need to do something as a whole and go come together as an industry to make sure that you're not only providing the opportunities in the right spaces, you need to also educate people about how to get into tech, right? So it's not only providing the right positions, but it's also, can we educate people? Can we set up training programs? Can we make sure that we're creating long lasting impacts for STEM people or tech people in general? And then also something that I find quite interesting is that, and that's also on the mentorship part, is that the more mentorship you have in an organization, the more equal opportunities you have. So regardless of who you are or what gender you are, what sexual orientation you have, the more mentors uh, available and the more equal access to opportunities that could be, you know, having more equalized processes around hiring or whatnot, that will definitely also help increase diversity. And I actually read a report the other day from Culture Amp, which is really good. And they pointed out that if you want to hire diverse talent, and you can also think about remote hiring. For example, if you're not from a socioeconomic background that maybe allows you to live in a large metropolitan city in Europe or in the US, then allowing remote workers will also increase the influx of people that of always of every type of socioeconomic background, no matter where you're able to live financially. You know, that makes me think about a conversation I had recently with uh, one of our customers, Favro, who used to raise venture capital. You know, they had to recruit a lot of people. They're kind of hybrid, but they still like to have some offices. But what they did was that is that, well, if we find like a place where we notice that we hire a lot of people, then we're going to be like, okay, we seem to have like a cluster here. So now we're going to set up a little hub there, like an office, which is very different from the traditional thinking of saying, okay, we're going to have an office here and now we're going to recruit there. I thought that was a pretty cool way of thinking about it. We're getting a little bit towards the end. I would like to hear your view on where do you think this is going? I mean, if you're going to like draw a trend here, do you think we are moving towards a better place in a fast way? Do you think we're standing still? Do you think we're going backwards? Where is this pointing? On my side, I really believe that yes, we are going on the positive now, but just too slow. This is a thing because it's very simple seeing the numbers because there are a ton of statistics that we have that is just not enough of people working in ICT. And I'm not even talking about the woman as such. It's just in general, like employees, whatever who they would be. It's just not enough. And then we're starting to fight and actually put the efforts not in the right basket because we're just fighting for the talents, raising the salaries as crazy and then giving beanbags and the offices and Coca-Colas and beers and having fun, but not actual job. This is where we quite a lot of going. But 
I see the positivity in the things that still companies starting to realize these things. And what I am happy about, at least in my country, that men, they quite a lot understand their own role. And uh, we, for example, we have 50% of mentors, men, and they're such a powerful voice when we are missing the role models, women who would be everywhere in the press, in the news, that girls would see and me as a young woman would see that everything is possible and so on. So men are also taking this kind of the stand and it's, I would say, really equally important that they are role models. And then when they're telling these stories that, you know, I just came in and said, I will raise you a salary because you are not asking me for three years in a row. It's kind of changing the things also. Positive, but too slow. Yeah, I totally agree. We do need to speed up things. <laughs> but I think that's a common theme of most inclusion themes and topics. Companies are definitely realizing it. I think other types of minorities are more than aware, but the majorities, such as homogeneous white men, if we're being super black and white, it's all about doing your own part. Of course, we need to also take collective responsibility, get more governmental support in terms of promoting these kinds of initiatives. There's a quote that's really good, that fish doesn't see water, and it refers a lot to structural biases and um, things like that. And I think that's also something that you need to understand your own benefits. Like, what is it that you're coming with? I'm trying to find a word, but I can't find it. But basically, what kind of environment did you grow up in? How did that prime you? And seeing how that has benefited you versus how it hasn't benefited others. In each part of the process, if you're, for example, part of a hiring process or you're hiring, then making sure that diversity and inclusion is part of each step is super important. Cool. When it comes to representation, I think we've done a little bit of an improvement simply having this podcast now, because simply speaking, if I look at all the guests that we've been having on our podcasts, well, most are men, but there has been some really, really inspiring women too. And now we for sure have made that slightly better. We talked about the investor side before. I think a lot of the VCs are trying to find women they can promote into like a partner position. But one of the things I came across quite recently that made me very happy was one new VC fund, which is being started. And I'm going to be part of one of the investors in this fund. And one of the people who actually starts the fund is a veteran person in the game industry, which is a woman. And I think that actually is going to make quite a big difference because if you have a, a VC fund and two of the general partners are men, but one of them is a woman already there, you change the dynamic quite a bit because we have this whole conversation about you know, femme washing, but when one of the general partners is a woman. One of the founders of this is a much more kind of clear statement because for sure, both on the VC side and on the founder side in the tech industry, it's a brutally skewed demographic between men and women. We're quite far from where I think we want to be. I really thank you for uh, this conversation today. And uh, well, Jeroen, I guess I see you in the office tomorrow. Martina, always a great time talking with you and I'll see you soon. Thanks everyone. See you soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favro.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.